This morning is going to look very different. And so I want to just say that up front. I'm excited about where we're going this morning. Um, Two weeks ago, we started a little three-week series on um, growing in our relationship with God through his word. This whole series is called Experiencing God. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of Samuel, and we just talked about our approach when we're sitting down to spend time in God's word. And it's, it's really all about that. It's, it's coming in and, and being in his presence, recognizing I'm not just reading my Bible because I'm supposed to read my Bible. I have an opportunity to hear from the God who loves me, and he wants to speak into my life. And so having that mentality, and then going into it with a, with a heart that's ready to listen, and ultimately a heart that wants to respond to the things that he'll say to me. And so we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Then last week, we just kind of walked through what it might look like to have a daily devotional time where you you have maybe a small passage of scripture, a journal, maybe even a a small devotional book that you're going through. And we really actually almost kind of model what that might look like to just read through the word, hear God speak to us, listen to what he might say on a personal level and grow. And so this morning, um, this might almost feel a little bit like we're back in school. Hopefully it's not as boring maybe as being back in school, but it's going to be a little more detail-oriented because we're talking about how to dig into God's Word, how to do a little bit of deeper study. And so what I want to encourage you with this morning is to hold on to the things we've talked about the last few weeks. When we're digging into God's Word and doing a little bit of deeper study, that's not the time to turn our heart off and now just use our brain. It's the time to say, God, as I'm digging in and getting to know you more and understand you better, Lord, speak to me in that. I want that knowledge to not be head knowledge, but experiential knowledge of who God is. Knowing him like a friend, coming face to face and spending time with him. And so let's not lose that. I love this quote by um, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great preacher. He had this to say, do we need to understand everything? Are we to be all brain and no heart? What should we be the better if we did understand all mysteries? Then he says, I believe God. I bow before his word. Is not this better for us than the conceit of knowing and understanding? We are as yet mere children. We know in part. Here's the point. It's about the adventure of getting to know him better, of discovering him more and more. It's not about sitting down with a list of, if I read these few books, if I do these couple studies, I've got him figured out and I'm done. I filled my head with the information I needed. No. We're on the adventure of a lifetime, discovering Jesus. Um, When I was a kid, one of the things our family would do for vacation is we'd go camping. So I grew up in the Houston area of Texas, and when we would go camping, sometimes it felt like we were driving like seven hours to get to some of these places my parents would take us to. But we'd go out, and um, we'd get a little shelter or whatever. And during the day, it was just like, go play in the woods. We'd go hiking. You know, I'd find a spot that probably was right within eyesight of camp, but in my mind, I was like getting lost in the woods away from my parents and going on this huge adventure. And part of what I would do as a kid is I would collect all of the different supplies that I was going to need for this grand adventure. Now, you know, as an eight-year-old, I was probably gone for 10 minutes, but I felt like I was going to be gone for hours and needed to be able to survive. So I'm tracking down a pocket knife and a flashlight and probably one of those toy compasses that doesn't really work. You know, it's just a piece of metal spinning around on plastic. But I was gearing up. I got to be ready for this adventure in the woods so I can find my way back when I'm done. 
And my, my hope, my desire, as silly as that example might be, is that this morning sort of serves as putting some tools in our backpack for the adventure that we're on. Um, don't be overwhelmed or intimidated. Towards the second half of the message, I'm going to give you a lot of resources that are available for deeper Bible study. Don't be overwhelmed by the list. I'm just trying to give you an idea of places that you can go to learn more and to grow. What I would encourage you to do this morning is hear some of the stuff we're talking about and, and then maybe go home and say, Lord, what would be a good next step for me? What's, a, what's an item I can add? What's a step that I can take? And also know um, I'm going to hit this stuff kind of quickly and move on. But one of the reasons I'm here, one of the reasons several of us are here as leaders is we're willing to walk through this stuff with you guys. So if you leave this morning and your appetite gets wet a little bit and you're like, bro, you went way too fast past that one point. Can you walk me through that a little bit more? Man, I'm here. You've got my number. I'll give it to you. You've got my email. I would love to sit down with you guys. So we got all that? Does that make sense? Y'all are super quiet. Are we ready? Okay. I recommend if you are a note taker, get out a pen, get out a piece of paper. Um, If you know how to type with a finger or a couple of thumbs on your phone, maybe get your phone out, open up a little note section. You might want to jot some of this stuff down. Um, If I do go too quickly past this, we post the notes online on our website. You can grab those if you like. But we're just going to dive into this. So we're going to kind of do this in three parts. Really quickly, I want to do what just a brief kind of flyby of the Bible, this, this book that we're talking about discovering and digging into. So the Bible is made up of 66 different books that were all kind of compiled together. Um, there's 39 in the Old Testament. There's 27 in the New Testament. These were written by over 40 different authors. And these people's stories are fascinating. I mean, there's people that were highly intelligent. They were academics that wrote this, guys like Paul. Um, There were doctors like Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts. There's also everyday folks. There's fishermen and farmers. Um, There's shepherds. Um, There's just a wide range of people who who wrote the Bible. And it's incredible watching all of this come together. So we've got 66 books written by 40 different authors. And the the range of time was about 1,600 some odd years between when the first books were written and, and the book of Revelation was finished up. That huge span of time. And what's fascinating is the more we dive in to reading the Bible, it's incredible to see how it fits together. It's incredible to see how it tells one story about the redemption of mankind. I mean, outside of the first couple of chapters that tell us how we got here and then screwed things up really fast, the rest of the book is about God's love redeeming us and rescuing us back to himself. And so it's an incredible story to unfold. Um, The Bible can be broken down to a few different categories. We've got this really beautiful chart. Um, You're going to love some of the graphics this morning that we've got up. You want to pop that first one up there, Jacob? You know, we always give credit to Alex for the great graphics work that he does, and um, he didn't do this one. (laughs) No, I was was joking with Alex. You know, I wanted to do something to kind of help you guys follow along with this so it wasn't just me droning on. And so I was online just trying to grab different pictures of some of the commentary books I'm going to tell you guys about and wanted different charts. And I immediately felt like there's a market for us to update (laughs) some imagery that's a little old school. Um, But here we go. This will help give you a little bit of a sense of things. So I don't even know. Can you all read that at all from where you are? No? Okay. Well, there's a bookshelf. So imagine... (laughs) 
imagine these are broken down into categories like a library. So the first five books of the Bible are often referred to as the law. You might hear Torah or Pentateuch or the books of Moses. Um, this is kind of that early history. You know, the book of Genesis kind of takes us from creation all the way up till the birth of a nation. And then Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are kind of the story about what's happening during the time and life of Moses um, when God's people move from Egypt to the wilderness and they're getting ready to launch into the promised land. And so those are the first five books of the Bible. Um, then from there, we have kind of the history section. And so we, we go from Joshua and just some of the conquests of, of the people moving into the promised land. And then we learn about the different judges and kings and all kinds of, of history. Um, then moving on from there is the section of, of the Bible in the Old Testament that's known as like poetry and wisdom. That's where you'll find the Psalms and the Proverbs and some other books like that. And then finally, the last kind of chunk of the Old Testament is what's called the prophecy or the prophets. And um, you know, I don't know why they got these labels, but we got the labels of the major prophets and the minor prophets. It's not really a ranking system. It's just to designate the size of the books. So some of the smaller prophecies are known as the minor prophets, but there's nothing minor about what they have to say. Um, and so that's kind of a breakdown of, of the Old Testament there and um, just gives you a sense of the different things you're reading. I think it's important to understand that. You know, there's a difference between I'm opening up a psalm and reading this poetry that's written to express guys like David and what they were going through. Sometimes things are amazing and they're just going, God's awesome and I'm celebrating him. Other times there's just some honesty and going, man, things are tough right now, but God's still faithful. I, I love that Alex was being real and vulnerable this morning. That's modeled in scripture. We see people who are just real people. Um, you know, folks who, who tend to maybe throw rocks at Christianity or berate the Bible, who've maybe just had a little taste of it, you know, they talk about things they see in there and go, well, that, that doesn't seem like a loving God. And what we don't realize is he's just being honest. The Bible is honest. It tells a real story about people who blow it, who screw up, who make mistakes. But God loves them and he's faithful through that with them. Um, there's correction when they blow it. There's encouragement to hang in there when they're going through trials and struggles. People are given fresh starts. I mean, some of the giants that we see in the Old Testament, the Moses, the Davids, they've blown it more than any of us. And so it's amazing to watch the story of God's redemption through all of these characters. So that's kind of just a, a flyby of the Old Testament. Um, the New Testament, similarly, the first four books are what we call the Gospels. They tell the story of Jesus' life on earth. They all have, um, they have some things in common. You'll see some stories that get repeated, but they all have a unique perspective. They're all from a different angle or a different person that was there, that was an eyewitness participating. So you've got a, a disciple like Matthew and his perspective on what he was watching transpire as he followed Jesus. Um, then you have Luke, who is this physician, a meticulous doctor, and he, he went back and really categorized all these different stories in the life of Jesus. He tells a lot of the miracles. I'm sure as a physician, he was kind of blown away by some of the stuff Jesus was doing, healing the sick, raising the dead. He records the story of, um, of Lazarus. And so we've got some of these different, uh, these different gospels that tell the story of Jesus. And then we move into church history, which is the book of Acts. It follows up right after the four gospels. And just tells the story of those early days after Jesus rose again. Powerful story about what it was like for people after they had watched Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and then his ascension to heaven. 
Um, it really even gives us a little bit of guidance in what it looks like as normal folks to get to know Jesus and do life together and follow God. Um, then we move from there into the letters, and there's a lot of letters that were written. Um, some of them were written to churches that were established in different towns or regions. Some were written directly to, to people. They were personal letters. Um, guys like Paul, he wrote quite a bit of the letters in the New Testament. Sometimes you'll see those referred to as the Pauline letters. It just means those are the letters Paul wrote. Sounds really fancy sometimes when we use these technical Bible words, but it's just the letters that Paul wrote. Um, and then there's others that like Peter wrote or James um, or even John. And so there's different, different letters that were written. And then finally, at the end, we've got um, a, one book of prophecy, similar to the way the Old Testament has some books of prophecy, and as the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's a little bit of a flyby of the Old and New Testament. You guys tracking with me? Do you feel like you're in Bible class instead of in a Sunday morning church service? All right. Um, so next, I want to move into just talking about some different types of study that you can do in the Bible. Um, and I'd encourage you to change it up. Do some of these different ones. Um, you can do what we talked about last week and do like a daily devotional. Um, it was really encouraging uh, my friend Dale, when he heard the series was called Experiencing God, he's like, man, did you base that off of the old Henry Blackaby Experiencing God series? I had to tell him, not directly, but I was hugely influenced by Blackaby's study called Experiencing God. And that's an example of a great resource that you can use as a study guide to walk you through Scripture. Um, Dale had actually purchased three books that are a day-by-day -day devotional that he just wanted to make available to people. So if anybody after these last two weeks has been thinking, I'd love to start a devotional, we've got two or three we'd love to just hand you. So come see me after service. Dale, thank you for sharing these with us, man. It's good, good stuff. Um, so you can, you can take a devotional book similar to what we talked about last week and go through that. Um, it's a good idea to just take the Bible and read it through. Just take it for what it says. Start in a couple of different places and just work your way through it. There's a lot of Bible reading plans that would take you through the Bible in a year. It's a great thing to tackle. Um, I want to encourage you in all of these things. Don't, don't get bogged down in getting discouraged or viewing these things like a New Year's resolution where I start and then I fail and I give up. Don't do that and don't worry about holding yourself to that standard. If you start one of these things and you fall behind, when you remember, just jump back in, get back on track. But it, it's, it's a good discipline to just work our way through the Bible and let it speak for itself. I don't need to add anything to it. Let me just read it and see what it says, see what it tells me about who God is. So you can find some good Bible reading plans. Um, let me give you an idea of some direction if, if you want to tackle something like that. I think it's a good idea to diversify a little bit. Especially when you get to a book like Leviticus, you're going to be really glad that you're also reading some Psalms or something from the story of Jesus' life. So what I would recommend is reading a couple of chapters in the Old Testament, a couple of chapters in the New Testament, and then maybe like a Psalm or a Proverb or one of each. Some version of that will just give you a little bit of a mix working your way through the Bible. Um, something I came across this week, actually, I've been looking for this for years, and um, Jake, you want to throw this up there? I found this podcast. There's a few of them out there. It's probably based mostly on your personal taste. Um, it's hard for me to find somebody's voice that's easy to listen to while they're reading. Uh, but this was a pretty good one. There's this Bible podcast. It's a free thing. You can just download it on your phone or whatever. And it's about 15 minutes a day. 
There's no commentary or anything. It's just a guy with an ESV Bible, which is one of the translations we often use here. And he's just reading about four or five chapters a day. And so if you ever feel like you struggle with finding time, I ultimately think there's value in opening up your own word and reading it on the page. But man, you can hop in your car on your way to work and you can listen to the Bible being read for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning and just be getting filled up with God's word. Um, and it actually, because, because it's broken down to go through it in a year, you could even follow this as a reading plan. So you could read it on your own some days. You could listen to this instead. You could even supplement, like read in the morning, and then, hey, halfway through the day, I'm going to re-listen to what I read this morning. So I just thought that could be a cool resource. I've been checking it out for the last handful of days and, and been enjoying it. So there you go. All right, now, deeper study. I'm going to give you just three examples of some study you can do. Um, one is doing a word study or what we'll call a concept study where maybe you're reading through the Bible and, or maybe you even hear us talking about these words that we just throw out. I mean, our church is called Grace Chapel and maybe you're sitting here on a Sunday morning and there's a sermon going on and you hear the word grace and you're like, I don't really know what that word means. I don't know what that word's all about. I don't know what the Bible has to say about that. Well, you can actually do a word search I'll show you the tools here in a few minutes when we get there, but you can do a word search and see every place in the Bible where, for example, the word grace shows up. So what I want to do really quick is I want to just walk you through what this might feel like so you can kind of see um, what you might experience if you were to dive in and do a little word search. So I'm, I'm not going to do a teaching right now. I'm not going to take the time to explain it, but I just want to give you a sense of what this could look like. So let me start you with an example here. Let's say that you started doing some daily reading and you're in the Gospel of John. And we're going to be looking at Jesus' life, just reading through the Gospel of John. And you're reading along in chapter 1 and you get down to verse 14 and it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so I'm reading the story. Here's that word grace. I've been curious what it's about. So we can stop right there and we can look up what the word grace means. Now I'm going to show you the physical hard copy of what you can use. And then at the end of the message, I'm going to tell you about some really simple Bible software that's free that you can get online or on your phone. But just to give you a tangible sense of it, this is called the Strong's Concordance. Um, what this does, um, and the key word here is exhaustive, meaning every single word that is in the Bible is in here categorized. And so you can look up alphabetical order, just like using a Webster's Dictionary. I won't ask how long it's been since you've opened up a Webster's Dictionary. But same principle applies. Go find the G, then the R, right? We find the word grace. And then this book will list... <laughs> You know, I taught like elementary, middle school, high school. I guess I just divert back to like I'm talking to kids. All right. So find the word grace, and then it will show you a little snippet of the verse and all of the different places in the Bible where the word grace shows up. And then you can do a couple of really cool things with that. One thing that you can do with it is you can take that word and you can now flip to the back where there's an actual dictionary where there's Hebrew and there's Greek. So let me give you a little tidbit here. The New Testament written primarily in Greek. 
And so we have the English translation of those Greek words. But there are many, many, many old manuscripts that have been found and discovered and cared for that are, are really old, that have the original Greek that this was written in. And then Greek scholars take that and translate it, their best version that they can, into English so we can read it, so we don't all have to become Greek scholars just to read the Bible. But this can tell us what the original Greek word means. So you can find that word grace, see all the places it's listed in the Bible, and you can flip to the back. And then in a Strong's Concordance, you're going to get like a tiny little description of what it means. There's Bible dictionaries that give you like a huge chunk where you can really get a deeper sense. But you can flip to the back, look up what the word grace means. Um, I've actually copied one up here from um, a word study dictionary I like to use. It's called the Complete Word Study Dictionary. Um, this is an example of what it describes the word grace as meaning. Got that ready, Jacob? Um, a favor done without expectation of return. The absolute free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. It's unearned and unmerited favor. It's an example or description of what the word grace means. It has, has a lot of depth, this word. But it's, it's God giving something towards us, expecting nothing in return. It's a free gift. Unmerited, unearned favor. Now, I don't have to just stop there and lean on what this dictionary is telling me it means. Because of the concordance, I can look throughout Scripture and just see examples of where the word grace is used and learn what it means by reading how God talks about it in the Bible. So I'm just going to read through some of these really quickly. So let's say you do your word search, you discover that that Greek word for grace shows up 156 different times in the New Testament alone. I would say God considers that a pretty important word, a pretty important concept. Um, and so then I can go, well, let me just start looking at some of these different verses that have the word grace. I want to discover what God is talking about when he talks about grace. And so I can skip down and I realize, oh man, just a few verses later in John chapter 1, it says this, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Wow, that's like a physical picture of what that meaning just told me. Grace is something that's unearned. And now this is contrasting the law where I had to follow rules and regulations with something different that Jesus came to do. He came to give me grace, something I don't earn, something I don't deserve. That's pretty cool. Well, then I follow along and I see in Acts chapter 15, verse 11, there's this little verse and it says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved in the same manner as they. Now, that seems like a nice little verse. If I read Acts chapter 15, here's the story. This is really important to you and I. Do we have anybody in here that's of Jewish descent? Okay, then this literally applies to everyone in this room. So in Acts chapter 15, non-Jews were starting to hear about Jesus, and they were accepting him. And the Jews who followed Jesus were like, wait a minute, all these people are accepting Jesus. They need to start following the Jewish law now. In fact, some of these grown adult men need to get circumcised that are not circumcised because that's required by the law. And so all of these Christian leaders come together and they begin talking and wrestling through what they believe God is really calling them to do. And thank God, 
that this verse comes along and says, no, by grace, they no longer have to come underneath Jewish laws and regulations. We all get to rest in the grace of God. That means as Gentiles who are not Jews, we get to know Jesus. We get to experience his grace in our life. That's amazing. So we've got the story where it talks about Jesus. We've got Acts where it kind of unpacks what that might look like in our life. And I'm just going to rattle off a few of these really quickly where Paul writes and he talks about how grace works. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. This is one of the letters. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For check this out. For there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? All. Being justified freely, how are we justified freely? By his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So I get a little more understanding of God's grace. One of the things it does for me is I get justified freely. That means when I'm singing a song like Jesus paid it all, that's not just a song that sounds nice and, oh, I hope it's true. It's true because it's rooted in the reality of what Jesus has done for me. He has freely given his life for me so I can be justified, just as if I had never done it. I'm forgiven. That's what grace does. See how this can begin to enrich our understanding of words that we just kind of hear and don't get? Grace is incredible. God gives it freely. Okay, a couple of other things that happen. I'm going to skip a couple of these, Jacob, just for time's sake. Um, let's skip down to, um, well, I want to read this one. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, buddy. All right, just to continue to affirm the same idea. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Okay, so i got to do something. i got to have faith, right? Yep. But that's not even of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So I have access to God's grace. I have to believe that. It requires some faith. But God even helps me by giving me the ability to put some faith in him. So even when I'm having trouble mustering faith to believe that this good news really is true and it really is for me, God helps give me the gift of faith so I can believe and trust him for this good gift of grace that saves me, that redeems me. All right, well, if I keep reading through the New Testament, I find grace isn't just related to the issue of my salvation. God's grace affects my day-to-day life in various ways. As an example, in the letter to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, they had people discouraging them about end times and about even telling them, well, the resurrection of the dead isn't a real thing. And so the end of this letter is being written to encourage them, no, we have a hope. We will live forever with Jesus. And so verse 16 writes and says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. We can be assured forever that we're redeemed by the good hope by grace. And then what does he tell us to do with that? Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So man, when I'm getting discouraged, when I'm getting worn down, when it's hard to see that day that's coming one day when he returns for me, I can hold on to the fact that by God's grace, he's coming back for me. And I have eternal life and hope in Jesus. 
when I'm struggling, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul is talking about just this ongoing struggle in his life, this thorn in his flesh that just hasn't changed, hasn't gone away. It's this continued battle for him. And he said, then, then God kind of spoke to me and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So God's grace doesn't only give me eternal assurance. It sustains me through the difficulties of life. I can hold on to the grace of God knowing he's going to give me strength when life is hard. Now, I hope what you guys are seeing at this point these are things that you can read and discover simply by doing a word search, typing in the word grace, and just starting to read what the scripture has to say about that. You don't need the pastor guy to sit there and walk you through this. You can open up the word of God, invite the Holy Spirit to come and talk to you like we talked about last week, and do this little search on a word that's jumping out at you and go, God, what are you trying to teach me about grace? And as you read along, I promise you, you're going to find yourself in here. You're going to read along and go, man, I've been struggling with something. It's encouraging to know that God's grace sees me through that difficulty. So this is the kind of thing that we can do on our own. We can do a word search like that. Um, a couple more kind of examples that were fun that I, I want to use to highlight something. Anytime you're doing a word search, pay attention to the very first time in the Bible that the word shows up. So, for example, um, the word grace is used in the Old Testament as well. I was using New Testament examples. In that case, it's going to be a Hebrew word. But again, that Strong's Concordance can do the same thing for you. It can show you what the Hebrew words mean and where they're located. The very first time in the Bible, I'm going to skip all the way down to the Genesis reference, Jacob. The very first time the word grace shows up in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Anybody know what the story of Noah is about? What did, what did Noah live through? Go ahead, you can shout it out. The flood, right? The story of the flood was about the sin and fall of man and God wanting to judge that. And yet there was one guy who believed him still. There was one guy who, who followed God still. And the scripture tells us that grace was given to Noah and Noah survived through the flood, through the judgment. So the very first time the word grace is used in the Bible it's actually showing us a picture of the reality of sin and its destruction and God's desire to rescue and save us through the consequences of our sin. Isn't that amazing? Pay attention the first time a word shows up in the Bible. It usually gives you a picture of what that word is going to be all about. Um, and then I love this. The last time it shows up in the Old Testament, 500 years or more, a little, little about 500 and maybe 20, 30 years before Jesus came, the prophet Zechariah wrote this. The last time the word grace shows up, check this out. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David, remember Jesus was the son of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. Think about this. The prophet is writing about a son of David who's going to come, yet he's writing 
for God. Like he's writing on behalf of God saying, me, you're going to look on me. God's saying, I'm going to come as the son of David and I'm going to be pierced. This is 500 years before Jesus comes. In fact, crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet as a form of punishment. And yet the prophet writes that grace is going to come to us by the spirit of God through this moment. We're going to look on him who's been pierced. Isn't that amazing? This is the kind of stuff that we can discover by taking a little bit of time and going, I'm going to look up this word. I'm going to see where it shows up in the Bible and do a little digging. It's really fun. I, I realize when it sounds like homework, we've been so conditioned from just our boring years in school to feel like homework stinks. I mean, I realize some of you might be like, no, I actually love that. And that's great. But we were designed to be learners. Learning something new is exciting. And when we're learning something about who God is and his love for us and the world he's created, man, it brings joy. It brings encouragement. And so just be inspired to adopt the attitude of a learner. Um, and so these are just some of the fun things that you can discover. In fact, one of the things I ran across, um, we'll read it really fast um, just to, to reflect back, but um, the very last verse in the Bible talks about grace. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, after all the prophecies of what's coming, he ends with encouragement about the end of the story and that God is good and he's faithful and he loves us and we're going to be with him forever. And the very last words written are these, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen, somebody? That's God's heart towards us, that his grace would be with us all. In fact, one of the things you'll see is over and over again in the New Testament, Letters that were written to encourage churches almost always began or ended or both with some form of God's grace be with you. God longs to pour out his grace on our life, to sustain us, to give us strength. See, I said I wasn't going to teach and I'm preaching because I can't help it. All right. Anyways, the point is you guys can discover this stuff. We can do this by just opening up the Bible, using a little bit of a resource and digging in. So y'all got a sense of that? Okay. I have to apologize. I'm going to have to blast through these last couple of things. So this stuff is in my notes. You can check it out. I'll talk to you more about it. I apologize. I didn't estimate my time well. Um, a couple of other kinds of studies you can do. You can do a book study where you take one particular book of the Bible and you just dive into it. And you can find out things like who wrote it, when did they write it, who is the audience they were writing to, what was the main theme, and then just read the book and get a really good sense of what was going on there. Um, and then finally, another idea that you can do is you can do a character study. You can pick a, a person in the Bible that you're drawn to and go, I'm just going to read up on the life of David, see what he's about, hear his history, read some of his Psalms, and just dive into this character David. Or I want to dive into Ruth. I mean, there's this cool, just small little story in the Bible. What's that all about? And how is that? there a picture of Jesus in the midst of that story of Ruth? And so you can do a character study where you look at one person and hone in on them. And what you'll discover often is people in the Bible, their main story might be in one spot, but then they get referenced in other places. And it can be really cool to see that. So there's some ideas for you. I want to end things by just giving you some examples of some resources. Jacob's going to throw some pictures up here, and then we're going to wrap things up. Um, so I mentioned the Strong's Concordance. Um, you can do a lot of damage just by having a Bible in this. You can do a lot. And so be encouraged that you can just start somewhere um, and then just have a journal. Take good notes on the things you're discovering. 
Um, that's another picture of a Strong's exhaustive concordance. Okay, then additionally to that, you can, you can utilize um, resources that are called Bible dictionaries or even encyclopedias where the word definitions are a little more in-depth. They give you more of a sense of how that word was used back at that time and in that culture. Um, or encyclopedias that will give you a sense of history, context, culture. These are a couple of examples. I don't even know if y'all can see that, but... There's the word study, the complete word study of the Old Testament. There's the new, um, there's the International Standard Bible Study. There's Easton's Bible Dictionary. There's many more. People love vines. There's a lot of good ones. Um, continuing on, there's also commentaries. Commentaries is, it's informed opinions is, I guess the best way I put it, people who have studied, who've learned, they know their history, they know their Bible, but then they also just share insights of what God has spoken into their own lives through the scripture. And so their commentaries have been written by, by pastors, by scholars. They really enrich your study time. There's some examples like Warren Wearsby um, has written some really great commentaries. Matthew Henry is a really famous uh, commentary. And then a more, more updated one, a guy who's still living, John Corson, um, a pastor of the Calvary Chapel Church has a great uh, commentary, uh, just has his cool insight from his preaching over the years. So those are examples. Um, I always, I always want to encourage you. I got this from Chuck Missler years ago. I've heard it in other places. At the end of the day, remember, the Bible is the best commentary on itself. When, when I go to a commentary, it's like the last thing I do. I don't want my mind to be so um, influenced by somebody else's opinion that I'm reading it into the scripture I want to read the scripture. I want to unpack the word grace. I want to see what God's word is saying to me itself about grace. Then I'll go listen to what some other people have to say. And that way I've kind of got a filter to make sure, is that really lining up with what I'm seeing in God's word? But we can learn a lot from the wisdom of others. So they're valuable. They're not a substitute. Um, okay, and then lastly, I kind of mentioned this in passing, but there's some great study guides that are available. Um, as an example, if you want a broad approach to Bible study, there's there's study guides like the Experiencing God study we talked about. Um, a friend of mine, a pastor friend, mentor of mine that's come to preach here in a month, Dave Buring, has done a great one called The Discipleship Journey. And it really walks you through in an in-depth way a lot of core concepts and foundations in the scripture. I mean, it takes about a year to go through, but it's great. I think we got a picture of that up there. And then um, many of you are probably familiar. There's a lot of different book studies out there. So not only digging on your own, but you can go through someone else's teaching that'll walk you through a book study. Beth Moore, I mean, I know she's geared towards ladies, but she's awesome. She does an incredible job unpacking books of the Bible. Sarah, aren't you going through this one? Yeah, I thought you were. Yeah, did you use a quote from that yes. this week? Yeah, our little Instagram uh, post, Sarah used a quote from this. But Beth Moore does a great job just unpacking particular books of the Bible. Um, okay, and then finally, that's like a lot of material, right? I mean, can you imagine the hundreds and hundreds of dollars you'd be spending if you purchased all that stuff? I have good news for you. You can find most of these things for free now online. It's great. Technology, there's a lot of junk that comes with it, but there's some really great stuff that comes with it. So there's several good ones out there. I have a personal preference. Um, it's eSword. I, I honestly prefer it because I love it. I use it all the time. This is what I use to prepare the messages I'm using. Um, I also happen to know the guy that created this. It's Crystal's dad, Rick Myers. Did you, I don't even know if you know the latest. So I went on his thing, and he posts like the history of eSword over the years. 
The last time he updated was like May of last year. He's had 35 million downloads since eSword started. It's getting used in like 237 different countries. It's a great resource. The reason it's so incredible, it's free, and all of these things I just told you about are in there. You download it, and in a, in a fingertip, you can click the word grace, and you can click over to a dictionary and see what it means. You can click over to the concordance I was talking about and see the list of all the places it shows up in the Bible. You can click over to one of those Bible encyclopedias and read more in depth about a person or about a concept that you're studying or about a book of the Bible. It's right there at your fingertips. My, my hope, Rick has visited here before. Y'all have seen him. He comes to town every now and then. My hope is to get him to actually do an eSword training session one of these weekends he's in town. So we will give y'all a heads up about that, but dive in and start playing with it. Um, people like Blue Letter Bible. There's others like that online that you can find. Really great resources. This stuff is at our fingertips, and it's exciting to discover stuff about Jesus through his word. So thank you guys for hanging in there. It was a little bit longer than normal. I appreciate you guys sticking with me. Was that good? Did y'all get something out of that? You got something you can grab a hold of there? Okay, please feel free to ask me questions. I'll sit down with you and walk you through how to, how to find these things, do these things. It's really exciting. And then just as a reminder, one more time, next Sunday, I'm thrilled to have Jonathan come in and start our new series on worship.